Check us out on blackgirlnerds.com forward slash t-shirts. We have a selection of shirts from sizes that go all the way up to 5X. And if you want to get a little bit more than just t-shirts, we also sell merchandise on Zazzle. There, go to zazzle.com forward slash blurredgasm. That's zazzle.com forward slash B-L-E-R-D-G-A-S-M. Over at Zazzle, you can purchase coffee mugs, keychains, tote bags, as well as a selection of other shirts. So check us out on both of our stores, blackgirlnerds.com forward slash t-shirts over at TeePublic, as well as zazzle.com forward slash blurredgasm. And thanks for your support. Hi, I'm Joy Bryant, and I'm a Black Girl Nerd, and you are listening to Black Girl Nerd Podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Malik Porte. I am a professional nobody, but you might have seen my work on Nerdist.com or soon Bleacher Report, and you are now listening to the Black Girl Nerd Podcast. Hey, guys. This is Morgan Devon, CEO and founder of Blavity, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerd Podcast. Hey, this is Sam Benjamin star, writer, and producer of superhero web series, The Few, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. What's up, y'all? It's producer Will Packer, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Keep it locked right here. tuning into episode 76 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Geek Misogyny, No Totally, and Con Coverage. This is broken up into four segments. The first segment is about geek misogyny. I sat down with Karan, Kayla, KB, and Cynthia and new BGM podcast co-host Tora to discuss the issues surrounding the geek community and how women, and specifically women of color, are targeted by misogynists and quote-unquote geek fact-checkers. So we discuss the whole fake geek girl conversation and how it's a form of gatekeeping. We also talk about cosplay and the sexual harassment that comes with women being targeted and also how people of color and spaces like Black Girl Nerds, as well as so many other blurred spaces, are used as a way to help support us and to empower us and to make us feel included. In our second segment, Mel sits down on a one-on-one interview with Sean Lau of No Totally. No Totally is a weekly podcast that focuses on movies 
and all things related to geek culture. Sean co-hosts the podcast with his friend Brian, and in this discussion with Mel, he talks about how his podcast started and how it eventually evolved into a conversation discussing race, as Sean is an Asian American and really wanted to discuss issues of whitewashing, the marginalization of people of color in media. So he goes into detail about that in this segment with Mel. In our third segment, which is actually broken up into two segments, it's called Con Coverage. First, we visit MomoCon in Atlanta with Kayla. Kayla goes around and interviews various guests at the con, which includes Zach Callison of Steven Universe, Alyssa Lewis, an animator on Archer, Afua Richardson, who you know best as a Marvel illustrator, and Renee Cooper, who is the media relations director over at MomoCon. So each segment includes those interviews with Kayla. There is a little bit of ambient noise, obviously, because it was in a convention. So the audio is not 100% what we'd like it to be. So bear with us as you listen in. For the most part, they're pretty, pretty clear. And our final segment, Yours Truly, goes to Tidewater Comic Con in Virginia Beach. At Tidewater Comic Con, I walked around the show floor and decided to meet with some cosplayers and ask them questions about their experience at the convention, what got them there, also who they were cosplaying as, and what they love most about doing cosplay. So this is a fully loaded podcast. It goes a little bit longer than what we usually publish out there, but I think the coverage, the interviews, and the discussions are well worth the time. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. And guess what? We are on Acast. So if you go to acast.com forward slash blackgirlnerds, you can see episodes up on there. And you can check out the widget that is on the blackgirlnerds.com right sidebar. Thanks again for listening in and enjoy the show. following is a panel discussion featuring Karan, Kayla, KB, Tora, and Cynthia. We talk about geek culture and specifically misogyny within the geek community, gatekeeping, fact-checking, sexual harassment at cons, the whole nine. So many of you probably listening in will have some experiences on this, and we offer you some solutions on how to deal with it. Thanks for listening in to this special edition of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. So I am here with a panel of podcasters to talk about misogyny and geek fandom, right? It is something that we deal with as women, and we deal with it even more at times as women of color. So I'm very happy to have our lovely panel of women here that are experts in all things related to geek culture. KB, Tora, Kayla, Cynthia, and Karan. Thank you ladies for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. So let's go over some talking points and then each of us can give our two cents about what we think. Let's start with sexism and cosplay. You know, we noticed that there's a lot of women that are harassed to the point where now conventions have to post signs up and give disclaimers of, you know, this is a non-sexual harassment zone. Do not touch the cosplayers. It's, it's gotten to that point. But I wanted to know what your thoughts were about sexism and cosplay. And have you ever experienced that either as a cosplayer yourself or know of someone that's um, dealt with that? 
And we will start with KB, Tora, Kayla, Cynthia, and Karan. Hey, it's KB here. I personally have not experienced sexism, like direct sexism in cosplay at a convention or anything of that sort. But for me, just I have read about other people's experiences and I have talked to a few women about this. And for me, I just don't understand why men have this feeling of entitlement. Like, you know, you go to these conventions and you're there because you're a fan and you want to learn more about your favorite shows. You want to meet some of your favorite actors and actresses. And I just don't understand why, why we just don't have a safe place. But well, nowhere is safe, really. I mean, not even this convention, not walking down the streets of New York, not doing anything pretty much. But I don't understand why they feel like it's okay to touch one, someone that they don't know be someone, you know, just because you're a woman and I like your outfit and I feel like I should be able to touch you. Like, I, I don't understand. So for me, it just is really upsetting because I, I do have a lot of younger siblings and, you know, they like to go a lot of different places and hearing them have these conversations, just even at school and, and having these conversations, you know, saying, hey, I'd really like to go here, but I don't necessarily feel safe because I feel like I'm going to get attacked by a group of guys who just feel like they're entitled to touch me hmm. is really bothersome. And it, it's maddening. Like, it makes me really angry to think that, like, you feel this way. Men should not feel entitled. Like, parents should really be teaching their young sons that, like, you are not entitled to anything that a woman has. Like, period. <laughs> yeah, Tora here. I definitely agree. Um, I have seen instances of that at conventions. I'm just going with friends and dressing up as your favorite characters going to these conventions along with wanting to find out more you also kind of want the fellowship experience of being with other people you know that are just as interested and even in the approach you get from the guys that are there if they're not being grossly like (laughs) sexual towards you even the conversations that they tend to have with you they want to talk to you about how you look instead of oh let's have a conversation about this character that I'm clearly excited about they see you more as an object instead of something you know instead of a person to have a conversation about this comic or whatever with and it's it's very frustrating to not be seen as human in even in this space that's supposed to be for for nerddom you know what I mean and it's pretty depressing well this is Kayla and for me it's happened to me it happened last year at a con and I I picked a variant of poison ivy and I've been wanting to do her for years and I finally felt comfortable enough in my body to do that and it took a lot for me because it You know, even up until that night I put on the costume, I was like, I'm not going to do this. But I have friends push me into it saying, you look amazing. Let's go ahead and do this. I did went to a party at the con that night and, you know, walking around with a group of friends. I'm not I'm in a relationship, so I'm there to have fun. So I'm there to just hang out with my friends and be there and be in the costume that I worked really hard to put together. And, you know, to have someone push up on you. And then get upset because you're upset that someone touched you blows my mind. I was raised a military dad my entire life. So I was raised with manners. I love to think that a lot of people were. But then, you know, as you get older, you realize a lot of people aren't. So I don't mind embarrassing people when it happens. Um, <laughs> I have no problem in making you feel bad. And the guy this that did it was 
<laughs> this guy was dressed up. And you know what? I didn't feel bad because he was short. I'm not into short guys. So, I, you know, I turned around and I was like, you know, hey. And he was dressed as like this broke down version of Samuel Jackson from Pulp Fiction. So I read him and I did not feel any. I mean, and I had a few drinks in me, but I'm going to stand up for myself. And there's a lot of girls out there that don't know how because they're there to cosplay and be themselves and they're feeling comfortable and to be pushed out of your comfort zone by someone who just doesn't respect you. I feel like that's why the panels are important about doing cosplay and respect for cosplay, respect for people of color in cosplay, respect for women in cosplay. And it happens to men too. I've seen girls go after guys in cosplay, especially if they're in borderlands or, Mad Max, they'll go after and touch them. And I'm like, did you ask? It's a simple, can I take a picture with you? But not, can I touch you? Not, can I put my hands on you? And that's why I, I am glad that a lot of these conventions now are having these panels where we get to talk about this because it's not okay. So, you know, I was at Momocon this last weekend and seeing the signs and it was great because I didn't see any of that going on because now it's in place that you're going to get put out. Someone's going to report you and you're gone. The cons are speaking up. We shouldn't have to have the signs up, but I'm glad that they're there because there are some people who just don't know their place. And some people aren't like me and quick to put somebody in their place. And so I feel for the girls that this makes them uncomfortable. It makes them insecure. It may make them never want to cosplay again. So mm -hmm. it's something that's got to change. So I, I've never cosplayed before. I plan to one day, but I haven't done it yet. Oh, this is Cynthia, by the way. I haven't cosplayed before, and I don't know anybody personally that has had to encounter sexual harassment specifically. But I will say this. The culture is not excluded from patriarchy and misogyny. It's not. From the comic books, the video games, sci-fi films, any, anything that really caters to geek culture... Patriarchy and misogyny is still very prevalent in it. So I'm not surprised to see men in this culture act the way that they do towards us. If anything, it still infuriates me because like you go to cons and you see these girls, they do dress up however they want. And then you have these men who do feel entitled to it. And it's because they're raised to feel that way. They're raised to believe as though we are prizes. We're prizes. We're statues to, to stare and gawk at and to touch. We don't have any type of liberty or freedom to be in spaces wearing what we want to wear without being ridiculed, without being subjected to being touched inappropriately and without our consent. And I'm very happy that cons do have these policies that go up and that you will be excluded it's unfortunate that it had to go there. It's unfortunate that it took years for these cons to actually start putting these up to saying, hey, you can't randomly touch people. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I feel as though the only way this can really change is if the system of patriarchy and misogyny changes. And that we're a long road ahead from that ever happening. I can admit that because it's the truth. It's so embedded and ingrained in all of our mentals not just men but women too where we even question ourselves like the fact that we have to question wearing a certain thing because we don't want to have to deal with that kind of harassment 
So already the fun is taken out of being able to be free in wearing and doing what it is that we want to do because we don't want to be subjected to being a victim of sexual harassment in the establishment where we are going for fun to celebrate ourselves. So there's already this thing, this push and pull happening within us in order to just be there. Words can't explain how disheartening it is. You know, cause especially because at cons, you can bring kids along too. To know that in these kind of establishments, especially where you have kids that can come and celebrate themselves as well, there are things that they can't wear. There are things that they can't participate in because of these kind of situations. You know, so that that's my take on the whole issue. This is Karan. All my life I had to fight. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not a cosplayer, but my daughter is. I have a 19-year-old daughter who is really into J-pop and K-pop and, and these fantasy worlds and, and has an online life that is largely created by characters that are hyper-real. And I think the whole issue of misogyny and cosplay comes down to art imitating life, but it's art imitating life in a hyper-real environment. So we already know that we don't have the same, or some people feel, misogyny grows specifically, mm-hmm. that we don't have the right to our own agency just as women, but then to not have your right to agency as a woman dressed as a character at a convention is insane. Now I've been reading, you know, I've learned so much from you guys as far as cosplay, because when it comes to information, I'm really like a dog with a bone. And when my daughter, you know, got her first costume in the mail that she ordered from overseas and she was so excited and it was custom. It was really some thought put into this thing. And I'm saying, okay, this thing is really real. So I started doing some research and I started reading. And the more I read, the more I learned how much women are subjected to in these con environments. While I'm, I'm glad the policy exists, it shouldn't have to, but then it shouldn't have to in our lives either. But it does. So my perspective is from how do I protect myself? How do I protect my daughter? Because outside of underoos, I have no knowledge of this. Like me and Isis, me and Wonder Woman, we were we were smooth. But that was in the comfort of my home. And there's a certain level of freedom as an actor, as a person, as a fan. When you are able to connect with a character and be them for the day, so much care and mindfulness and just attention to the details goes into the fact that you have to psych yourself up to wear something of a character that you love. It's insane to me. But again, you know, art imitates life. And I think in hyper real environments, we're going to get hyper real over sexuality, we're going to get hyper real misogyny, we're going to get hyper real objectification. And that goes back to the fact that what we read in comics with these strong and powerful women, what we read and what we see developed on screen 
and how women are portrayed on screen, even as superheroes, is reduced to eye candy. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm it. just saying. I'm just saying. All my life, I had to fight. X-Men Apocalypse. <laughs> X-Men Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you guys all. You guys have touched on each of these points perfectly. So I am not going to repeat what each of you guys have said so well. I, I will just add that I noticed that there's a huge disparity between plus size women who cosplay versus women who are thinner. And that is something that I have tackled with myself as a plus size cosplayer. I just started cosplaying last year and I've also ran many articles on black girl nerds from plus size cosplayers who have had issues with being made fun of and being teased and not finding a support group out there to help them feel comfortable in their own skin enough to cosplay. So I just want to add for the listener out there, because I was that person who is a plus size woman who feel like, well, I don't think I would fit into a Misty Knight leather, you know, cat suit. I don't think I would be able to wear this outfit or that outfit. Just know that there are body positive groups out there. We have a curves and cosplay episode on this podcast. If you want to go back to the archives and know that there are women out there who will help you, who will give you ideas. And there's so many characters to cosplay as. You don't have to do the popular ones. There's there's so many out there that are, you know, fat positive, like a lot of the characters on Steven Universe, which that's why I love that show, because it's not only racial diversity, but it's also body diversity. So I, I just want to just let you guys know that there there's a lot of groups out there that's willing to support your work as a cosplayer, because unfortunately... I do feel like there's a lot more women that are more marginalized that are plus size than women that are not. So anyways, I just wanted to touch on that. But thank you, ladies, for for that commentary. This was great. I want to move on to fake geek girls. This is something that I deal with almost on a daily basis, tweeting, always getting geek checked on something. What is your thoughts about the whole idea of gatekeeping? Because it is really a form of gatekeeping. But the whole idea of women being fake about their fandom. What kind of nonsense? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just so bored with trying to prove what I like to people I don't care about. What? Geekdom doesn't have a fan club. Like the actual culture in itself does to have a fan club. And the fact that women are quote unquote excluded to a point where we have to, like, give a password or give some type of indication that we are geeks <laughs> to get in. What? Uh, who died and made you leaders of it? Mm-hmm. Right. You know? And, and that just goes back to the entitlement thing. And, unfortunately, it also comes down to the fact that geek culture, even though it is very much exclusive to everyone or, or anyone, it is created by and catered to men. Mm-hmm. That's their main focus. For example, Justice League did it. Not Justice League did it. Um, Young Justice get taken down because of the fact that it had more female viewers than male. <sighs> really? Mm-hmm. So it's as if to have girls interested in these things is either blasphemy or not real or unnecessary, mm-hmm. and it's whack. I'm tired of it. 
I don't, I don't know what, what, what else we can do or what we should do to prove anything. And why we even feel we need to. That's all I gotta say about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done proving myself. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm too old. I'm so done proving myself. What really makes me crazy is the fact that in a previous podcast, we have someone mentioned that when we were talking about wrestling, I was included in that conversation, but the subject was wrestling in the last podcast. I don't remember who it was that commented that she grew up watching wrestling with her brothers. So her brothers are babysitting her or she's babysitting her brothers and they're watching wrestling. For the same amount of time, for the same amount of years, for most of their lives, and she is a fan. So why wouldn't she have the same level of knowledge, expertise? What really gets me is that a lot of times our nerddom, our geekdom is the connecting point for people that we meet, for right. men that we meet or women that we meet in, in a romantic sense of the word. But then you're going to get mad because I know shit. <laughs> Sorry, I'm smart. And not sorry, not sorry, not sorry. Um, I'm so sick of having to defend my brain. I'm, I'm tired of having to defend myself. I'm tired of having to defend what I know. You like me because I know stuff. You want me. You need me because I know stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's like, come on, man. It's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. It is a form of gatekeeping. But the truth of the matter is, we are the moderating force in every society. So you can keep the gate, but we own it. I agree with you, Quran. And I also think that guys seem to think that we're taking something away from them. Yes. By, yes. you know, knowing our fandoms, creating content within these fandoms, whether we're comic book writers or directors of genre television shows, you know, whatever it is, whatever artwork we're putting out there. That somehow having this subculture filled with women and people of color is taking something away from what's been around for decades and decades. And I feel like it's still a level playing field out there. Like, don't think that because we're seeing um, a black Captain America, seeing a black Iris West on the flash, that somehow or another, you know, we're, we're taking away from white characters when still predominantly everything that I'm seeing on my television set and in the big screen is, is white faces. So I think that's a huge part of it. And then I, I agree that the fact that this whole gatekeeping thing is just a way of people wanting to sort of deny your credibility as, as a geek or a nerd, like you are not authentic enough to be a nerd. So therefore you can't be a part of this conversation. And, and it's just another way to dismiss people and exclude people. And it's mostly women and people of color that it's done to. But that's why I'm so happy that so many of us are forming our own spaces and carving our own niche in this digital world and not giving a damn what other people think and not asking permission from others because that's where we need to go when people want to exclude then we create our own spaces and we include. So yeah, I just think that the whole fake geek girl thing is going to become very passe very soon because nobody's going to really give a damn about you few dude bros out there that feel this way. Now, you did touch on something, Jamie, that's key. So people are always upset when we create our own spaces, but they didn't want to allow us into that space to begin with. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
And so then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, why are you creating your own version of Captain America? And why are you creating your own version of the Flash? But like, we tried to sit with you guys. Like we tried to be included (laughs) in the conversation and you guys definitely pushed us out. So you left us no choice but to go ahead and create our own content because, hey, we're still interested. We're still fans. We still like this stuff and we still want to see people who look like us represented. It just gets so damn tiring. I'm so tired. (laughs) I I just got emotional because I walked into a comic book store and I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry on the podcast for the first time wearing my BGN shirt and to check me and say, why black girl nerds? And do you even know what you're picking up? I am so damn tired of it. And to get checked in front of my son. Hmm who knows more than the dude bro standing in the corner staring at us because we're picking up stuff we like. I'm not walking in there just picking up random stuff. And the people that own the comic book store know me. So, you know, they had to check them. But I am so tired of the bullshit that comes from dude bros that I'm upset right now, but I'm past that to the point where I'm pissed and to the point where if you're going to come for me, I'm going to come for you because I'm done with it. I'm done with being checked on things. The person I'm with romantically, like Karan said, because I have the same interest as him. The fact that I can go to a comic book store with him and pick up things with him because he knows I like it and I know what he likes is everything. So don't try and come for me because I spent my entire life being different and now I have a space with people that are like-minded like myself. So you're going to check me because of my shirt. You're going to check me because I'm in the store and you don't think I know what I'm talking about. I'm completely over it. So yes, we're going to keep creating these spaces because you keep pushing us out. So yes, when they ask me, yeah, go to black owner, just go check out the site now because now your interest is peaked because you saw my shirt. So thanks. You know, we're just going to keep putting the word out there because at this point we're done defending ourselves and explaining ourselves to why we're doing these things and why we're into them. We're into them just because just the same way they are into these things. I don't owe you an explanation. And that's where I'm at with that. I'm like over it. (laughs) It makes no sense. Another thing that I've noticed is that along with the gatekeeping and the being mad that we're creating our own spaces. It's acting as though we just became fans of these things. You know yes. what I mean? Like, Oh, you, you guys just, just got interested. You guys just like, I haven't been with this. Like I haven't been obsessed with this since childhood. Like I wasn't the girl, uh, the weird girl on the playground that was like drawing Pokemon and selling them. Like I, this has been me my entire life. It's not me just, just now deciding, Oh, this is cool. I'll just get into this. And I think it's also, they assume that we're doing it. It goes back to sexism. Men have this idea that women only do things to please men. They assume that we're doing it for male approval that we don't ri- that we only know surface things and we're just doing the rest just so guys will like us so they just think no 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 let's keep these girls out of there out of here and keep this for ourselves and it becomes like this he-man woman haters club of like <laughs> no women allowed just us guys who only really like this and it's oh it's so it's not- homoerotic is what it is mm. <laughs> that is a- yes <laughs> yeah call it what it is karan <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) It's interesting to see how I've done these experiments on Twitter because Twitter is a great place to see how misogyny can quickly unfold online. So an example is I will have a conversation with guys about any random comic book, either a story, a character, what have you. And usually it's in a group tweet and I will say what my thoughts are on this character. Then there's like slowly an interrogation process going on. So, well, do you know about this character from this story arc and from this comic book back in 1975? And But amongst all of us in this group Twitter exchange, the guys are never questioned. It's always me. And I just find that very interesting. And I asked one guy once, you know, have you ever been checked on social media when you're having a conversation about your favorite superhero? And he's like, nope. And you know a hell of a lot more than I do. (laughs) And I was just like, that's so interesting to me. And I mean, it has nothing to do with, you know, having a large following and and being black girl nerds. I mean, it's just people in general. I, I noticed that women are targeted more off of their inability to know everything about everything compared to men. It's just, it's very disconcerting. And I think guys, some guys do it and don't even realize it. Mm. And I'm quick to tell you, your misogyny is showing guys. Like, I know that that's a hard pill for you to swallow. And that's a very strong word to use. But it really is a form of misogyny when you are treating women very differently than men. It's too much at this point. And the fact that they do it to you at a convention, I'm there looking at this stuff. What do you think? I just wandered in here. I was going to pay $30 right. for one day at a convention. Get the fuck <laughs> That's crazy to See, me that they do that. Yep. I feel like a part of them are well aware that we are interested, right? We wouldn't be here unless we're either A, trying to get their attention, right? Or B, they just want to have that feeling of making us feel bad because of the fact that they want something to themselves. If you look deep into what people consider a nerd to be, quote unquote, it's like outcast, you know, different. You use those words as if, you know, not normal, all that kind of stuff. So, of course, people are like ridiculed. Because they are quote unquote different or quote unquote outcasts. So now you have this community, you have this space where you get to be yourself, you get to like what you like. But once again, misogyny, patriarchy, they feel like this is their club. It's a boys club. For a girl to enter in it, how dare she? You know, girls are supposed to like makeup. They're supposed to like cute stuff. They're supposed to like pink. But for them to like things that quote unquote boys like, specifically geek boys specifically geek boys who have been ridiculed and shamed for liking what they like by people that are a little upper than they are they're going to try and make us feel bad about it because they don't want us there so they will use their time to do everything they can to make us feel bad about the fact that we like what they like that's what i see i see that projection of hate you know not that they don't believe us i mean some don't but not just that but i think it's also just They want to make us feel bad about being here. So it's iterated to us that this is their thing and not ours. And it can never be ours. 
I think there's also another element that that may have been missed in the conversation. It's also about competition. When it comes to men, it's always about who can piss the furthest. (laughs) And if a girl comes in and she can throw the ball, she's got a better arm, she's got a better swing. If she knows more about your game than you know about yourself, you just got showed up by a girl. You know, but not only that. You know, I'm probably the last person somebody should come and tell what I should and shouldn't like because I'm belligerent. I I am. I'm I'm not that girl that's going to be sitting in your face apologizing for not being what you expected me to to be. I'm the girl that's going to have you have several seats and understand that your opinion is not required because if I wanted it, I would have given it to you. I am not the kind of woman I'm an extraordinary extrovert. I'm good at extroversion. Everybody is not that way. It's just like someone said earlier today. Everyone, you know, hasn't found their voice or can't speak up for themselves yet. But the idea that we need permission to operate in any space, in any of these spaces, these are imaginary worlds. We can't even use our imagination. Really? (laughs) Come on, man. I think I was going to add on to what Cynthia said about expecting girls to have interests in, you know, girls are supposed to only be interested in like makeup and not be interested in things like, in things like this. And I think it's also that when girls are interested in both, when you see Mm, a girl who looks like she fits into what is conventionally deemed as, you know, feminine, that here's this girl who's like glammed out, but she's a nerd. That's, you can't be a nerd and be consider yourself attractive according, you know what I mean? According to what is considered geek culture. So, so now you're telling me how I can define myself as a woman. And, and that's just another thing. Cause I've had guys tell me that like, why are you, I don't believe you. And then, then comes the test. Then comes the, well, what did you think about this? Well, well, who, who fought this? And it's just, okay, I don't need to take your quiz in order to right. prove that I'm nerdy enough for you just because you find me attractive. That's not what's about to happen. It's this very weird, I don't really understand it. I, I saw this commercial one time. Well, it was a sketch on a comedy show and it was basically this guy there was like this hot girl on screen and she was like, Oh, I'm a dork. And this guy like walks up and it's like, she's not a dork. I'm a dork. I'm socially awkward. And, and I've been picked on my whole life for liking these things. And I'm like, just cause she's hot doesn't mean that she's not a dork. If y'all like, if she likes the same stuff as you, you're just, she's a hot dork and you're not, and you're mad about it. That's, that's the issue. I don't know what that is though. Yeah. Deal with it. I'm hot and a dork. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. That was a true statement. Yeah. <laughs> makeup thing happens all the time. You can't be, you can't wear the makeup, know how to apply it, and then walk the con floor without someone being like, mm, does she belong here? Yep. It's just how it is with their thinking and the male thought because, I mean, take it back to weird science they created this hot woman to be their objection for the nerds and now you can't be hot and be into those things because you're something that they it makes you undesirable 
and desirable at the same time. Yep. Because you obviously can't be into these things if you're wearing the makeup, you're wearing certain type of clothes. I've never really understood that, but I mean, they can get over it. I mean, I don't understand some of the geek guys that don't shower for 30 days, but I don't read you for that. <laughs> That's your business. Exactly. So there's terms that we use to help sort of identify each other. I guess you could call them labels. Some people don't like labels. Other people find that it's a way to form community. Why do you think it's necessary to define us aesthetically with terms like geek, nerd, or even blurred? And what is your feelings towards those labels? I think if we just, you know, again, I think Cynthia mentioned this earlier, you know, kind of the negative connotation that comes with the word nerd and geek and blurred. And I think if we take that back, you know, it's more about taking the power back, you know, and, and using these terms to have ourselves shine brightly and unapologetically, like in our nerdiness and no, like we, we own our brilliance and our desire to learn more. We like comics. We like games. We like science. We like sci-fi. We want to debate about it. We want to speak about it. We want to create things, you know, we want to innovate. And so I, I think it's more so about using those labels and turning it into a positive and you're right, creating a community, but what should be a positive community where we accept each other and we can debate in a healthy way about certain things and our favorite superheroes and what our favorite comics are and what we like and what we dislike and, you know, how we want to see more of ourselves represented on the big screen or how we want to see more of ourselves represented on the small screen. And like, what does that look like? And having, you know, additional strong female characters represented in comics and just generally in real life. So, you know, I think it's about taking back those labels and using those labels for something positive, but also, you know, allowing each of us to just be ourselves and not have to apologize for it. Just be who you are and like the things that you like and stop having to deal with these people. Like we said earlier, like stop having to have this conversation about you're not real. And why do you like this? Like, I don't have to prove myself to anyone. I like what I like the end. Like, Mm -hmm. Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, being a nerd and a geek, you know, growing up was never a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But that never deterred me. I constantly, to this day, have a book in my hand and, you know, a book in the car. And I used to get in trouble for reading a book at the dinner table. You can't do that. You know? (laughs) So, you know, that was me. And my sisters, you know, I was the oldest, but they would pick on me. Even though I was the oldest, they'd be like, she's a nerd. She's a geek. I don't get it. I had the big classes. They didn't deter me for what I'm liked, but I tried to focus on other things so that I wasn't that. And now that I'm older, I embrace that word, geek, nerd, blurred, because that's who I am. I'm not going to apologize for it. I apologize for it most of my life. And at this point, I am who I am. I like these things. No one should have to apologize for who they are. It's like apologizing for being black, because essentially, mm. I'm not going to apologize for that either. So it's a, owning it. And now that we have these spaces and, you know, just thank you, Jamie, for creating Black Girl Nerds, because now we have a space to go to. We didn't have this, you know, all the other sites were not for us. Now we have a site where we can own it. We can say, I'm a geek and I love Sailor Moon. I mean, you can say that and people are going to be like, oh, my gosh, me too. Have you watched this? And (laughs) meet these people and 
it's amazing now that we can own that word. So, you know, there's people out there who don't necessarily like the word blurred or they don't get it. Right. You will eventually, but (laughs) (laughs) that's true. They could try and act like they don't, but blurs are running pretty much most of black Twitter. So we're, we're, we have a big, <laughs> oh my we God, you're so right. And love and hip hop. So, I mean, you know, it's getting there. That's why know? Thrones y'all trended. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. But you yeah. bring up a great point, Kayla, about people will eventually, you know, get it and embrace it because four years ago when I had created the site, I remember using the term blurred and, Man, people were mad at me and going, what, what is a blurred and why, why are you using that? And that's so divisive. And why are you trying to separate black people from nerd culture? And our very first podcast was about that term because people were like really passionate about it. Either they really loved it or they hated it. And now I see blurred all over the place. I mean, there's websites, there's merchandise. People got it in their hashtag as their profile on Twitter everybody's using it as their Twitter handle. It's being embraced. And that's a beautiful thing to see. Cause I, I just remember seeing people so upset about that term. And, and there's still some folks out there that still don't understand blurred culture and, and don't like the word or don't even like the idea that black people are creating spaces that are for us in the nerd and geek cultures. But overall, I've seen a huge change from four years ago up until today when it comes to that term. So you're absolutely right. Eventually people will get it. You know, hopefully one day we'll be in a space where everybody can, you know, celebrate their fandoms and it doesn't have to be a niche space. But for now, I, I really love the fact that I'm a part of a community. So that's, that's a big deal. But yeah, so Blurred has definitely evolved over time, which I'm, I'm happy about that. So I wanted to read this really quick. There was a great post on Black Girl Nerds about gender roles in fandom. And uh, one of our contributors, her name is um, Alana. She's a cosplayer. She broke it down from a Tumblr post that she had read about the difference between male fandoms and female fandoms. So I just want to read this really quick because it had some great insight. She proposed that the male fandom tends to be a curator type. They collect merchandise, collect knowledge, memorize facts and figures. They tend to be the keepers of the canon. The female fandom, on the other hand, is more creative. They draw fan art, make cosplays, write fan fiction. They alter the canon. This is often because the canon doesn't serve to the outsider. For example, people of color, queer, female. And instead, the outsider must use creative force to make their own space within the canon. This type of fandom may be considered less serious, unreal, not the right kind of fandom, and therefore is devalued by the male fandom. So that brings up an excellent point and adds to our discussion about geek checking and the fake geek girl and why men tend to want to invalidate our beliefs in various fandoms because of their interpretation of what fandoms are compared to ours. What are your thoughts on that? Because I'm a woman, I'm not supposed to like a clockwork orange because of the content when Stanley Kubrick is one of my favorite directors of all time. And because of that, I've created a group of girls that are going to Dragon Con that are all dressing up as a gender bend of 
the drugs. And I think it's amazing. And I've, you know, posted it out there and the reception on Facebook from the guys has been, nah, they don't like that. Really? They don't like changing that. They don't think that that's okay because it's a male thing because this, the story content deals with drugs and rape, all things that belong to men. Isn't that funny? Interesting. <laughs> that's what I said. I'm like, really? And I said to own that and accept that the rape culture thing as a woman taking, I, I feel really empowered by taking on this role and doing that because reading the book and watching the movie it spoke to me on a level where it was really intelligent and I didn't take it too far. Well, oh, because I'm a woman, I can't do this because it deals with the, you know, degradation to women. That's not what the story really deals with. That's part of it. But I feel a lot of power in taking that role and saying, well, you know what? I'm going to be a woman and dress as Alex. I'm going to do that. So I've seen it. They don't like that, but it's okay for them to go take on sailor moon costumes and be men sailor like but we don't care we think that's cute do that but we can't do that with a male character that's very real and they don't like it so then it discounts us they're like oh well you know it's not it's not going to do well people aren't going to like that which is funny to me because i've seen so many guys cosplay as sailor scouts and yep and then don't forget the brony community oh god (laughs) oh yeah which is pretty creepy but yeah what what are your thoughts about the brony community, by the way? Because I mean, there's there's kind of an underbelly of pedophilia a little bit. I I don't know. I mean, I I wrote a very um, objective article about it because I didn't want to insert my opinions and feelings into it and then marginalize a, a community of folks that are a part of nerd culture that define themselves as bronies. But I'm curious to know what other people's thoughts are on that whole subculture. You ever seen that episode of Bob's Burgers called The Equestrians? I have seen that episode. <laughs> That's exactly what I think about when yeah. they are. It's so yeah. to me. <sighs> I've never seen that episode, so please explain. Please. Okay, so you know Tina loves horses and she loves the Equestrians, and it's like My Little Pony, you know, but they call it that to avoid you know getting in trouble with you know MLP. It's like a bathhouse for people that like bronies and equestrians and equestronauts, and it's gross. So watching that episode is like, this is exactly how I feel those parties go when people... Like, I intentionally avoid those parties. And I hate to say that, because growing up, I loved My Little Pony. You couldn't tell me any different. It was the best thing ever. But then to know that it's over-sexualized by men turns me completely off of it. Like, if I had a little girl... And we were going to a convention. I would just in my head, because I know there are people out there that think like that. I wouldn't let her dress. I wouldn't let her cosplay as that because I don't want that thought in someone's head. When I see the girls, the you know, the adult women dressed like that, that's feeding it, you know. And I'm like, you know, I would love to cosplay as My Little Pony with a group of people, but I still feel weird about it. What is a brony? I'm sorry. I have no idea what that is. So a brony is a man that dresses up as some of the characters from My Little Pony. Girl, stop. My little, it started from My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. It started from that. And there's actually a, a convention called BronyCon that happens every year. I forget what city it's in, but people from all over the world, like it's a huge con, 
dress up as the My Little Pony characters. You know, they wear the wigs and they wear pink shirts and wear tutus and just super feminine clothing. And that's okay. But the the reason why a lot of... it's not okay. (laughs) I mean, I see guys dressed up as Sailor Moon and all the time at cons and stuff like that. So I, I don't take issue with that. The thing that is a lot that's very creepy to so many folks in the nerd community is it invites the opportunity for these men to get close to little girls. And because this is a show that's targeted to little girls, there's just a creepy factor involved with trying to get yourself sort of just very acclimated and integrated into a community filled with very young, impressionable girls. And you're a grown man. So that's the controversy there. I don't have an issue with, well, I have a, a, it's not an issue with men in tutus. It really depends on your level of style because some can pull it off. Some can't. It's really about taste. But when you talk about something that is geared towards young children, mm-hmm. that's geared towards little girls, there mm-hmm. is something wrong with that. Yeah. I don't have a problem with men dressing like women or men wearing tutus or rainbow ponytails. None of that. Go for it. Get your life. Get everything you need out of that rainbow ponytail. But it is specifically something that's marked for children and specifically yeah. little girls. I just, it's creepy. I'm, yeah. I'm not that girl. It's, that's creepy. Yeah. It's different with Steven Universe because it has adult themes. That's right. what I was trying to explain to right. Steven Universe deals with adult things. It deals with LGBT. It's, and it's very inclusive. It deals with so many other topics. My Little Pony does not. <laughs> it's like, to me, yeah. My Little Pony was just entertainment up there with strawberry shortcake. And I've seen that supposedly there's an underground following with men with strawberry shortcake. Girl, so, stop. yeah. I just, yeah. You'll there's see, a- you'll see at least one or two at every con. I mean, it's probably way more than that, but you, you'll run into them. If you go to enough conventions, th- there will be a brony in there somewhere. <laughs> wow. So. I feel like, I feel like it's, it's sexualized and I feel like the reasons that it's sexualized need to be explored before yeah. I can be comfortable with it because yeah. What is sexualized about it seems like it might have roots in pedophilia, and I'm that's what right gives me right. the 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 weird feeling in the pit of my stomach when I see it. That's <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Like Jamie said, I would never want to say something about a community that's trying to come together, a nerdy community, but yeah. just. That's why I had to walk a fine line when I wrote about it because I didn't know this was like two years ago. I wrote the article. I had never heard of them either. And I I was very curious. So there's actually a documentary, too, out there if you want to check it out. It's on Netflix. I think it is on Netflix. And Tara Strong is on there. Tara Strong's done several voices, including My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. It's a very interesting subculture indeed. So I do want to wrap this up. Do we have any final thoughts about where can we go from here as black women in geek media with the spaces that we're creating? What can we do to allow other women um, and other women of color to feel comfortable enough to participate in things in this space, whether they want to be a cosplayer, whether they want to be a podcaster or a blogger or a comic book writer or artist? What final words of advice would you give to them? 
And we'll start in the order of KB, Torah, Kayla, Cynthia, and Karan. Gosh, I'd say go for it. <laughs> Don't let anyone or anything stop you from living the dream that you have, from, you know, owning your nerdiness, from walking in that, from loving what you love, from writing what you love. Like, don't let anyone discourage you from that. And, you know, we all know that you're going to be hit with opposition. We're all hit with opposition within this forum in one way or another. I'd say that like this community, like, thank you, Jamie, for creating it because this is a safe place and this is a safe community and you have a lot of support. So if you ever want to talk to anyone, I'm always here. At least I know that we're always here. (laughs) If you want to discuss anything, or even if you just want people to help promote, you know, like your new fan fiction or something like that. I love it. I'm, I'm here for it. So I guess my main thing to say would be is to recognize that you're not alone. Like whatever obscure nerdy thing that you're into, I promise you there's someone else that's into it too. So communities like this, we're growing people like Jamie are out there. And if you don't see that there's a community for people that are interested in what create it, make it talk to someone else that, you know, if, you know, Jamie's not talking about it yet. If Black Girl Nerds isn't talking about it yet, at somebody, you know, at me. I'm always interested in something and finding out about something weird. And we can nerd out about it together. Just know that you're not alone, which is, I think, what really separates a lot of blurds out there. So that's all I have. (laughs) (laughs) I think it takes a leap of faith. And as someone who took a leap of faith, when, you know, Jamie was out there looking, I didn't have anybody. I came back on Twitter. I didn't have friends that I was, was able to go to and talk about these and found Black Girl Nerds. It took a leap of faith and reached out and Jamie accepted me. This group and of wonderful women and the BGN community that's full of men as well have accepted me and the weird things that I'm into. So I would just say, take that leap of faith. You don't know. There are no bounds really, except for the ones that you put out there for yourself. We're all there to uplift each other. And I would just say, just keep doing what you're doing because it's going to hit the right person and it's going to hit the right spot for you personally, that it's going to feel amazing when it does. And, you know, like everybody else said, just jump along. Thank you, Jamie, because we are all just out here doing this because we have a space. If I didn't have this space, I don't know what I'd be doing right now, but this has brought so much joy in my life to connect with people that are just as nerdy as I am that frequent comic book stores just as much as I do, or watch movies and TV as much as I do. We're all on Twitter, you know, at us, tweet us because (laughs) we're, you know, we're, extroverted introverts except for Karan because she's just extroverted <laughs> all the time That's true. So, <laughs> we're all out there and just at us and we'll talk to you about any obscure weird thing because believe me I, I pull random facts out of nowhere all the time so I'm pretty sure if you're out there and you have random facts you pull out all the time I'm your go-to person so just reach out to us and just do that I would say Know your limits. Cosplaying is fun. Engaging is fun. But if there is something within you that at a certain point it becomes too much, listen to that. Don't feel as though you have to push through it. 
to enjoy those things because these spaces, when you are cosplaying and so on and so forth, they are becoming this thing where it's very triggering for a lot of people. And if it feels like it's too much, just know that you don't have to engage. You know, you're not letting anybody down in the the fandom or even in the culture that you're in. You're not letting anybody down by saying, no, this is too much for me. And don't be afraid to like what you like because it is a part of you. And you have to think of it this way. Everybody else who a lot of people that are not within the marginalized, they are able to love what they like. And nobody has a problem about it. People have a problem about us liking what we like, especially if what we like differs from the mainstream, what people expect us to like. When they see that we like it, they want to make us feel a way about it because they don't think that we're supposed to. But there is no such thing as a supposed to. You you like what you mm-hmm. like, and that's okay. It doesn't make you weird. It doesn't make you outlandish. You know, it just means that that's, that just, that's your forte. And that's fine. Getting comfortable with yourself, getting comfortable with what it is that you know you can do and what you can't, and just making your experience as stress-free as possible. You know, that's, that's another thing. People like to say, oh, well, I'm introverted. I should be more extroverted. I'm extroverted. I should be more introverted. I'm ambiverted. I'm this and that. Nah, you're just you. You have your capabilities. You have your limits. So follow your instinct. Whatever it is that you're feeling, go with that. Sounds like that's it. I will quote the queen of all things, RuPaul. Know who you are and be it all the time. Wear yes, it ma'am. all the time. I am probably the anomaly in this group, but I still found my tribe. For those of you who don't know, I'm a disabled vet. I'm a mother. I'm a grandmother. I'm probably older than everybody on this panel, but I still look 26, so don't front. I am a brilliant woman, but I had to come to terms with the fact that my life is different now. And understand that your brilliance doesn't come from what people dictate to you. Mm. Your brilliance comes from understanding what exists in you and being willing to let that bless the world. We're not here to bless ourselves. We're here to give our gifts to the world. Yes, and ma'am. Whatever that gift is that you have that's lying dormant in you, whether it's your art, whether you're a seamstress and you damn good at sewing those costumes for cosplay, whether it is you as a writer, whether it is you as a a geek, just a plain old ordinary geek. See, I'm not the one, I'm an extrovert, and I've become very good at being okay, but I had to come to terms with the fact that I wasn't shamed because I was quiet. I wasn't shamed because I was reserved. I was shamed because I wasn't. That is a whole different end of the spectrum of being told what you're not supposed to be when everything in you is just more powerful than what you're being told. So know who you are and wear it every day, wear it all the time and learn to look yourself in the eye, in the mirror and tell yourself, I love you. That is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. It is one of the hardest things to actually do, but there is nobody that can put into this earth what you were destined to put into it. So if you got it, honey, wear it, work it, do it. Be it. 
have it. Give it up. Wow. This is a hard (laughs) follow-up. For all of you, you guys are so, like, deep and philosophical with your advice. I mean, really, just to put it simply, don't be afraid to ask for help. If you have a question, if you have a concern, don't be afraid to reach out. I mean, that's what I do every single day. And people assume that I know everything about everything, and I don't. So I am always quick to ask for help in all areas of my life, both personal and professional. You can't do it all alone. Can't do it by yourself. It's impossible. That's why we're here. That's why communities are, you know, a part of the human condition. So just know that there are safe spaces on the web for us now, not just black girl nerds. There's so many and not even in the blogging space, but in the podcasting space, in the YouTube space. And that's very important. And even organizations like what Regine Sawyer is doing with women in comics. I mean, if you're interested in getting into comics, reach out to Regine Sawyer. She's got a community of women, artists, editors, writers that are creating comics all the time. So just keep in mind that there's always going to be someone out there who has a community or is creating content of their own that is willing to have other people be a part of it. So that's really the biggest advice I could give. And I just want to thank you ladies for coming on this show. I think that this is like one of the most deep and very informative conversations that we've had on this podcast in a very long time. And these are the shows that people really yearn for. So I I just want to say thank you, KB, Tora, for your first episode. Congrats. (laughs) (laughs) Kayla, Cynthia, and Karan for, for coming on and just shedding some light and giving us some perspective on your level of expertise of of what your experiences have been in this subculture. So thank you guys for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. See you. Thanks everyone. Thank you guys. You guys are amazing. I love you, man. I love you. Thank you. you. (laughs) Our next segment features Sean Lau of No Totally, co-hosted by Mel. No Totally is a weekly conversational movie podcast that drops new episodes every Tuesday. Sean co-hosts the podcast with Brian. They talk about all kinds of things from geek culture to movies and lately talking about issues of whitewashing and lack of diversity in the film industry. I am Mel Perez. Welcome to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I am here today with Sean Lau, the host of the No Totally Podcast and Asian American Activist. Hi, Sean. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. It's great. So let's start off with, can you tell people about your podcast? Sure. Let's see. The podcast, it's about three years old at this point. We started off, me and my friend Brian, we started off just kind of talking about movies, talking about them from a technical standpoint, an emotional standpoint, and trying to, uh, you know, fill. <laughs> there aren't a lot of holes to fill for movie podcasts on the internet. There are about a billion people doing them and doing them very well. We tried to bring a unique perspective. I think people find it interesting and, and funny. And then recently, in the past few months, let's say the past six or eight months or so, I kind of 
came out sort of as an Asian American person. That was something that I was kind of hiding from my on-air persona for a number of different reasons. But uh, since then, I've become very vocal and active mm-hmm. in the area of Asian American activism and, and uh, things like the whitewashed out tag on Twitter recently. And also just trying to you know present as many viewpoints as possible. So when we're not doing movie-based episodes, I do interviews and discussions with people about really... Uh, hopefully a large and diverse number of things. Like I spoke to a friend who is autistic about that experience. I've been speaking to black women recently because I realized that I had done over a hundred episodes and had never included a uh, black woman. And that's something that, you know, it, that doesn't make me very much different from the mainstream because the, the voices of black women are often kind of discounted, but that's mm-hmm. something that I wanted to correct. So yeah, speak about all kinds of different things, social issues, and yeah, that's the podcast in a large nutshell. Okay. So I do have a question about that. So when you revealed yourself to be Asian, did you get negative response from that or positive response? How did that come across to your fans? You know, um, what's kind of interesting is that for the most part, there wasn't a lot of reaction. Like there were a lot of there were a lot of white people. And I like I don't want to kind of, you know, assume anybody's intention, but it did seem like there was a little bit of kind of virtue signaling from some fans being like, oh, I don't care if you're Asian or not. And then, you know, a few months later, after I had been speaking specifically about being Asian American, specifically about that experience, maybe that person would unfollow me on Twitter, you know. So the negative response, if there has been any, has been really kind of like passive, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, it did open me up to when people disagree with me, it did open me up to certain racial slurs. But, you know, the Internet being the Internet, that's going to happen. But really, for the most part, I feel very lucky in the sense that a lot of people who listened to me when the show was more ethnicity neutral, I I guess, they actually have really become very supportive of everything that I talk about as far as my experience. Hopefully because they got to know me beforehand and and maybe if they didn't have any Asian American friends or contact with people that look like me, hopefully they kind of, you know, found me interesting and so decided to, to stick around. That's good. Let's talk about the New York Times article that was released last week. Sure. It's called Asian American Actors Are Fighting for Visibility. They Will Not Be Ignored by Amanda Hess. What were your thoughts on that? I have a number of thoughts. Like, first of all, it's amazing, obviously, that uh, I believe that is going to appear in the print edition of the New York Times either today or tomorrow, something like that. And that's kind of a milestone because not many of those pieces have actually appeared in the print versions of these large publications. So that's, you know, obviously a sign of progress. I do, I mean, it's, it's, it's really a complicated mix of feelings. I feel like there is a lot of on the ground activism being done by people like Keith Chow of Nerds of Color and people like Ellen O, who is a writer. Mm-hmm. So, there's been a lot of grassroots movement and I, I get the fact that you kind of need celebrities to really make the story pop for a mainstream audience. And so I'm not like, I'm trying to tread this line where I'm not saying, you know, it's a bad thing that the New York times published this article. This is actually a really great piece. It's a very long read and it does hit a lot of the issues that previous pieces on the whole whitewashed out mm-hmm. campaign. It covers a lot of things that, that had not previously really been covered 
in coverage regarding that. So that's it's really great from that point of view. But I also, you know, if, if I can be petty for a second, I, I I have a little bit of animosity towards the New York Times for things in the past. And even though this piece is great, like they're going to have to do it a lot more <laughs> to kind of get me on their yeah. side. So I I know I didn't really discuss the piece at all. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, to me, and I'll just kind of say this like as a as a mission statement, I guess, to me, the increased and better representation of Asian Americans in American pop culture is a really important issue to me because, A, we don't see it right now, right? We see things like Tilda Swinton being cast in Doctor Strange, whitewashing that role. And in my experience, you know, growing up and mostly my adult experience, I have seen a lot of things that I think can really be attributed to the fact that most people don't see Asians as part of the American society and, and, you know, that they don't really see us as having the same kind of American experience that they do. You know, my, my parents were born in the United States. My grandparents were born in the United States. I am more American than Asian. I've been to Japan. I've been to China. I fit in there as much as a white person would fit in there. You know, I look similar to them, but at the same time, I don't, I don't fit there. That's not my culture. I was born here. So the fact that people like me aren't represented on screen, I don't know if you saw earlier today, a story came out where a college student in Arizona decided to physically attack a woman who was speaking Mandarin on public transportation. Oh my God. Yeah. And so, you know, it was, it was the same old stuff you always hear, like go back to your country and all this stuff. Arizona is not really the most, it's not really known as being the most accepting uh, of places. Accepting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe not as far, <laughs> but you know, I think it's indicative of the idea that most Americans think of us as others. And, you know, if you don't see us on TV, uh, if you don't see us in movies, if there is a concerted effort to remove us from movies and TV shows where it would be appropriate, as in the case of Doctor Strange, then how are Americans supposed to see us as, you know, fellow Americans? Or if, you know, the only time that you see yourself, it's in the stereotypical role that that just yeah. makes it so much worse. It just makes people believe the stereotypes are, you know, what you are. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I found such, I think, great community with women of color on Twitter is because, you know, there's a lot of overlap as far as the experience is concerned. Black women, I, I know, are historically over-sexualized in media. And that's, you know, people, I think, don't white people specifically, I think really don't kind of understand the impact of representation because not only does it affect the way that people see you, but it also affects the way that you see yourself. And so I posted a series of tweets the other day talking about how I always had, this is going to get really dark quickly, but um, it's okay. talking about how I had a suicide plan in place for over half of my life because no matter what success I got in life, no matter how much I was able to get what I want or able to progress and feel like a normal part of American society, I always felt like the other shoe was going to drop. I always felt like people were going to wake up one day and see me as, you know, this stereotypical, like a long duck gong from, from 16 candles, mm -hmm. you know, someone who's really just brainless, oversexed, not really worthy of, you know, having a relationship. <laughs> Yeah, not worthy of having, exactly, not worthy of having anything beyond making a funny accent for the amusement of other people. 
And, you know, obviously what I've chosen to do, I have a radio background. I do the podcast. What I've chosen to do is, you know, use my voice and use whatever intellect I have to talk about issues and talk about media that's important to me. If I walk into a radio station for an interview and I'm seen as long duck dong, I'm not going to get that job. And so the suicide plan was really just a matter of I felt like the other shoe was always going to drop. Mm -hmm. No matter what I accomplished, I didn't feel like I was worthy of it. And I didn't feel like it was going to last for very long. And so it just it kind of comforted me to have this idea of being able to hit the eject button at any time. And, you know, I have a nephew who is now, let's see, he's 13 years old. And like, I don't want any of that for him, you know? And so I think it's important. I want him to grow up seeing himself represented as more than just Long Duck Dong, mm-hmm. as more than just uh, a masked ninja who gets killed by Daredevil. I want him to be able the to triad. see himself and understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just all of those oh things. Oh, my God, you know? yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, as far as the New York Times piece goes, this was a long way kind of around it. But uh, as far as the New York Times piece goes, it is really, really refreshing to see, you know, that photo of Daniel Day Kim, Constance Wu, Aziz Ansari, and I'm forgetting the fourth person. Um, B.D. Wong. B.D. Wong, that's mm-hmm. right. People are going to kill me that I forgot him. It's okay. Yeah, you know, just the idea of getting a photo of these Asian Americans who not only are famous, but they're speaking out on it, I think is really, if nothing else, if the situation remains the same, at least I hope they're encouraging future generations of activists Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I do think it's a really positive thing all around. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great that the conversation is actually happening on, you know, a national platform because we had between, you know, Doctor Strange and Ghost in the Shell, there's been a lot of, I guess, blaming the people on the Internet, you know, referring to us as social justice warriors who are just outraged yeah. for the sake of being outraged instead right. of looking at the actual issue that people are upset with, which is that, you know, representation matters. They make it seem like yeah. it doesn't, but media drives so much of our lives. If it yes. didn't, they wouldn't spend millions and millions of dollars making all of these shows, making all of these movies, these books, these comics, everything. Right. So they acknowledge in that sense that media is important to our lives. But then at the same time, when you get upset that you can't see yourself or if you see yourself, you know, yourself as a caricature that is upsetting, they don't understand why you're outraged by that. And that is sad. (laughs) That's ridiculous. And I mean, like, I know I know some people and I think a lot of people know people like this. You'll meet people and you realize instantly that they're like a mix of different characters from TV shows and movies because we're all so hammered with all this Mm -hmm. stuff, like from the day that we're born. Right. So like, you know, if you have a friend who's, well, he's part John McClane and he's part Dwight Schrute from the office and he's part this and that, like, you know, a lot of people kind of construct a lot of their personalities around these kinds of things. Cause you see Die Hard and you're like, that's badass. That's the kind of person that I want to be. You know, if, if shit ever hits the fan, I want to be John McClane. I don't want to be, mustache dude that tries to get in with alan rickman and gets shot <laughs> you know so like when you have people that don't look like you or, or actually you know it's what's more harmful is when you see people that do look like you and all they are is the long duck dong i totally agree with you it's it's very easy if you are a white person to be able to see yourself and pattern yourself after good you know heroes and heroines but if you are a person of color, it's very, very difficult to do that. 
you wrote about the Doctor Strange controversy and mm-hmm. how the writer pretty much, I would say something different if this wasn't on the podcast, <laughs> I would describe it in a different way, how the writer basically <laughs> dug himself into a hole with his comments. Yeah. He thought he was doing a good thing by casting Tilda Swinton, you know, diversity-wise. Yeah. So right. thinking of that and thinking of the recent casting change, well, I guess casting addition for Ghost in the Shell, do you think this is progress or do you think this is more of a tossing us a pittance to get us to shout, you know, shut up about the issue? I think it's definitely both. I think the positive part of that situation is that they heard us, right? Is that I'm not sure that this role would have been cast the way it was cast if we hadn't been speaking out about it. So, you know, as we saw with April Rain, who started the Oscars So White hashtag, mm-hmm. it, you know, if you start these movements, they can get to the ears of the people who are in charge of these kinds of representation issues. So I think in that way, it is really positive. I do think also that it is a bit of throwing us a bone, but I have kind of complicated thoughts on that because I think our reaction as Asian Americans or as people of color looking for representation, I think that our reaction is not quite as important at this time as the reaction from media outlets and from, you know, other people outside of, of uh, our ethnicity. And the reason I think it's not as important, I mean, it is important, obviously, like we need to have our voice. We need to speak about mm-hmm. things, but Right now, it is not a normalized idea that Asian people, uh, Asian Americans specifically, should be represented on screen. That idea is not normal to most of America. So when you're that early in a situation as far as an activist, you really want people to be able to see why things are a problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that the response from a lot of people who are not yet ready to be not yet ready to understand the situation. A lot of their responses are along the lines of like, well, you know, just cast a few Asian Americans or, or Asian people so that they'll shut up. And I think it gives a lot of those, I would call them racists. I think it gives a lot of those racists cover to be able to say, Oh, this was cast a certain way. So you know, they're listening to you, so shut up. And I think it gives a lot of cover to news outlets. Um, I think I tweeted at a writer for, I want to say IO9, mm-hmm. which is a, a pretty good sci-fi blog, part of the Gawker family. And it was written, the piece was written by a white person. It was covering this Asian edition to the Ghost in the Shell cast. And his point was, hey, this is great news. It sounds like they're really listening. And that's kind of it. And my questions to him were, okay, you didn't mention Asian people in your piece. You said fans of Ghost in the Shell were upset. And the thing is, I'm actually not a fan of the Ghost in the Shell series. Like, I've watched some of it. Mm -hmm. I I like it. I don't dislike it. But I'm not like a diehard fan. And I didn't come out against the casting of Scarlett Johansson as the lead character. I didn't come out against that because I'm a fan and I need to see, like, canon served properly, right? Mm -hmm. Like, my whole thing has to do with representation. So it's very minimizing for especially a white person on a sci-fi website to say it like, oh, fans had this huge outcry and it looks like the studios have done something to solve that. That's a side character and it doesn't change the fact 
that you cast a white person to play an Asian role. Several white people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that cast list is still 80% white, I believe. So it doesn't it really doesn't solve anything. And like I said, I, that's the reason why I think the reaction from the media is going to be really important because the media, the way that they write about these issues can play a role or plays probably the biggest role in normalizing the dissent of people of color being misrepresented. So, you know, I think as far as throwing a bone is concerned, we know that they didn't throw us any bones, but the white media is still covering it as if it's a bone that we should be satisfied with. And that's, that's something that I want to fight really, really hard against a bone. They're covering it as if this is a full meal. <laughs> we, yeah. should, <laughs> we should right, be happy right. about this full meal. Right. They gave us yeah. for free. <laughs> <laughs> this one person is a 12 course meal this one uh, person. for life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's ridiculous. We can it's, never you know, complain that's... again. After this. Exactly. Yeah. They managed to, to dredge up one Asian person to put in a full Asian movie. That's great. I'll shut up now. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the things I did like about this New York Times piece a lot, it talked about the reasons why people were upset. Yeah. It wasn't just because, you know, I want to work and I can't get any jobs. It talked about the full scope of reasons that people were upset about what was happening. Yes, yes. It went really in depth and I was super, super happy about that. I need white liberals to read that because a lot of them, you know, still, I mean, you can kind of hear in my voice and, and what I'm talking about. Like, I'm like, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> we are all really tired. <laughs> I know. And that's the thing. I've only been in this for a very short amount of time uh, as far as like a, I don't know, like there is, there is passing privilege when it comes to Asian Americans that other POC don't have. And so like, I feel like I kind of got woke, like, very, very recently. And so, like, my my anger level is pretty high. And I still haven't learned, like, proper self-care as far as, like, activism is concerned. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of, like, get on Twitter and I'm like, I'm so angry that I need to, like, go to sleep or <laughs> like, get away from Twitter. But then I'm on Twitter for another 10 hours and I just <laughs> get more and more angry. Um, but, like, yeah, it's um, the New York Times, again, like, I'm trying really hard not to like be super negative about it, but like this is the same organization that when Asian American Iron Fist was trending, the way they decided to cover that was kind of sideways by getting an Asian person from Asia, not an Asian American, getting an Asian person from Asia to write a piece about why we don't need Asian superheroes. And that's ridiculous. Like that, like, I'm still fighting that perception, right? Like mm -hmm. people still come at me with, Oh, but you know, you guys said that you don't want Asian superheroes. So why are you complaining about it? It's like, we're not a monolith. Come on. <laughs> yeah. A, we're not a monolith, but B that's a person from Asia. Like I don't have anything to do with that. I'm sorry. Like, you know, I, solidarity and everything, but I don't know what it's like to grow up in Malaysia. I have like this, the United States is my home as well. You see, like, people like B.D. Wong on, on Twitter get told all the time to go back home where they came from. And he's like, I'm born here. Like, this is my country. I don't know. Just because your eyes are slanted, like, somehow they believe that you would be better off in a different culture, in a different country where they don't speak your language and you have nothing uh, in common with them. Like, it doesn't. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, New York Times piece. No, actually, yeah, I want to respond to that because that was an argument I saw a lot, you know, with Iron Fist and then, you know, yeah. later with Doctor Strange. And 
from some people, it was a well-meaning argument. I, I can see how, you know, if you squint a little bit. But yeah. I think they miss a lot. Like what you're saying, being Asian American isn't the same thing as being Asian. There is a difference. Cool. Yeah. And I think yeah. a lot of, you know, immigrant kids, they understand that. Like I'm first generation American. You understand that when you live in America, you're American. You have a different yeah. experience than the country that your family came from. So then yeah, when they're talking about representation here, it's a specific Asian American representation. So if you go mm. off and get somebody from Japan to say, oh, I don't care about who they cast for Ghost in the Shell, it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That that was the big thing, too. I mean, and it comes up so often. And the infuriating thing, like I was mentioning earlier, is that these are the stories that big sites like io9 and Kotaku and whatever, that's the story that they decide to cover is, I believe this one appeared on Kotaku the one where the author went on the message boards uh, for Ghost in the Shell fans in Japan and found all these responses where they said, oh, yeah, Scarlett Johansson being cast, that's fine. We have no problem with that. You know, first of all, that guy who writes, uh, he writes something called, I believe it's Kotaku East, mm -hmm. which is like a series of posts every day about a white dude from Texas living in Japan. First of all, there's tons of Orientalism in those posts because it's the perspective of a white guy bringing Japanese culture to white people for Kotaku. I like that. First of all, that's just awful. Like I, I need that column to stop. I need it to no longer be a thing because it's, it's harming me. Um, but just like you said, the opinions of people in Japan are completely different because, you know, by the same token, we don't sit here and say, movies in japan need more white people like that doesn't make any sense those movies are made for the japanese people by the japanese people mm -hmm. and they reflect the culture in that country the culture in japan is a lot more not monolithic but you know monoracial yeah. i guess you know so like there are majority japanese people living in japan i mean that shouldn't be too much of a surprise in the united states white people are also immigrants if you're not Native American, then you are an immigrant. And so this country is made up of all these different ethnic backgrounds and, you know, they should be represented in the way that the country actually exists, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's never an end to the excuses that they'll find, whether it's going to Japanese message boards or claiming, as Robert Cargill did, that casting Tilda Swinton is the real progressiveness because it's a woman being it's a gender bent role. They're never going to run out of excuses. Specifically a white woman, which is pretty much all the diversity Hollywood needs sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> That's all they're really. I mean, you know, Hollywood and white people in general, they really can't like they expose themselves so often. Like they see people of color and women and any marginalized groups. They kind of see them all as one big thing. You can check the box. Hey, we didn't get an Asian person, but we got a woman. So you should be totally fine. It's like, bro, I'm a dude. I'm an Asian American dude. How did that solve anything for me whatsoever? I'm happy that women are going to be more prominent in your films. We need to see more of everybody that isn't a straight, you know, cis hat uh, white man. Mm -hmm. You know, like we need to see more of everybody who's like that. But at the same time, regardless of what you think, people of color, like marginalized groups are not infants where you can like you know shake your keys over to the side and they'll you know start looking at them and, and whatever like you can't distract us in that way yeah i think it all comes down to like you said earlier when you scratch away everything that they've said and done what they mean is that no matter how long we've been here i mean you said 
your family has been here for three generations. So no matter how long we've been here, we're just not American. Yeah. As we don't fit the mold that they yeah. have made for what exactly. an American should be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, whenever the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue comes out, like they always make sure that they are able to describe one of the models as quote unquote all American. So if you hear the term all American, like, you know, you're talking about a skinny white girl with mm-hmm. blonde hair and blue eyes. That's what all American means kind of in all contexts. Yeah, it's just like I said earlier, representation matters and bad representation or no representation is extremely harmful. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. Yeah. Black girl nerds doesn't need to hear about how much representation matters. You know, where it's really interesting to me, the I feel like we're on. We are all marginalized communities. We're all looking at the same goal, but we're all kind of on extremely different paths. Mm-hmm. And right now, you know, there is certainly an acceptance of, like you said, there's an acceptance of white women more so. And I don't want to play oppression Olympics or like trying to rank what minorities are most important or whatever. But we're at a point where for Asian Americans, it's finally being recognized that this may in fact be an issue. Mm-hmm. And that is a different part of the journey from where other marginalized communities are and the support of the community and especially black girl nerds, like in particular on Twitter, the support from other communities has been so amazing to me. And like, I'm, I'm just so eternally grateful for all that. All right. This has been a really great conversation. <laughs> we really love Thank to continue you. talking, but I'm pretty sure we're over time. So <laughs> Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I could no. talk forever with with you. I could uh yes. This was this was a lot of fun. <laughs> just start a separate podcast. Yeah, we're gonna just start another podcast. We're just gonna talk about representation <laughs> and cultural appropriation for yes. hours. Yes, it's gonna be a live radio show. Yeah, five fans. And it's gonna be okay. it's gonna be twenty four seven, always broadcasting live. Just uh, just me and Mel talking. I like it. I like it. It's a good yep. plan. <laughs> All right. Do you want to give your um social media handles? Yeah, absolutely. So I am no totally on Twitter at no totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find the website for the podcast at no totally dot com. Also, please check out my Patreon, which is patreon dot com slash no totally. There you will find links to things that I've written, such as the Doctor Strange piece that we mentioned earlier. Follow along with everything that I'm doing as far as activism and uh, fun, fun stuff. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for being here. This was an absolute honor and treat. I'm so grateful to everything that you and Jamie do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yay. In our next segment, Kayla heads over to MomoCon and interviews Zach Callison, Alyssa Lewis, Afua Richardson, and Renee Cooper. Renee Cooper is the Director of Relations over at MomoCon. Zach Callison is best known for his roles in Disney shows including Prince James of Sophia the First, Billy from I Am The Band, and additional voices from Connect Disneyland Adventures. However, you know Zach best from playing the role of Steven in Steven Universe. Alyssa Lewis is most noted for her animation on over 75 episodes and promos of the FX Emmy-nominated series Archer. She's also the CEO and founder of the animation resource and staffing agency My Animation Life. Afua Richardson is an American comic book illustrator best known for her work in the Top Cow miniseries Genius. 
She is the artist of Marvel's up-and-coming Blade, the Hunter series, Attack on Titans, American Anthology, and All-Star Batman with Scott Snyder. Afua is also a mentor, graphic designer, activist, singer, songwriter, and voice actor. She's also a previous Black Girl Nerds podcast guest. Hi, this is Kayla with Black Girl Nerds, and I am sitting here with Afua Richardson, who is just being amazing, as usual, at FOMOCON. How do you like the con scene this year? It is phenomenal. I am having such a great time. Hello, Black Girl Nerd lovers! (laughs) I mean, everybody's... I'm just in such a great mood. People here are absolutely friendly. People are incredibly friendly. They're super, super sweet. And just... There's such a good vibe here. People are just really in great spirits. And it's something that I don't see at every single convention. I'm just... I'm glad to be here. So have you been surprised by the diversity that you've seen of people within the con and then the vendors itself? Absolutely. It's phenomenal. I'm seeing, like, a lot more black folks, a lot of Latinos, different different Asian groups from, like, Laos to Filipino. I mean, it's just great. There's so It's so blended. It's so just... I am so encouraged. I, I really am. Just I've seen about 15 black Harley Quinns that looked... Okay, they were not playing around. I was just like, yes, that is how you hire them. Okay, so with the cosplay that you've seen, has it been, other than the POC, have you seen any other great cosplays this year that Mm. really caught your eye? I know I've seen a lot of Steven Universe. There's been a lot of Steven Universe. (laughs) I am glad that there are so many roses and, like, garnets and just, like, I'm glad that, you know, full-figured women, like, have characters that they feel comfortable, you know, it's like, oh, they're, they're not a fat, you know, fill in the version of it. And not that they're fat, but, she, but you know what I'm saying. It's like, like those those kind of words that just get thrown at people. Yes. Like, oh, you're a white version of this. But you're black. No, you are just this. Again, I, I really get disappointed when, it, when people get caught up in those rules and this, like, you have to be, the only way you can cosplay as Garnet is if you're no. I don't see any of that here. Like, people have really been like, just embracing the characters, getting in roles, getting in characters, no matter where they're from, and they're having a really great time. Have you had any fangirl moments with any of the guests that have been here? Um, Zach from Steven Universe yes. and I were, like, <laughs> nerding it up over, you know, bands and things that we like. <laughs> You know, a lot. I'm working on the Attack on Titan anthology, and so we've been just you know, squealing over Levi and <laughs> <laughs> all of our favorite characters, and so on. You know, so yeah, it's been it's been just lots of fan enjoyment. I just, and your reception, how has it been with everyone coming to the table? Have you just been overwhelmed with everything? Well, it's been kind of steady, but everyone's been really great. A lot of people are, are not as familiar with my work, you know, coming from more of a... So what cons do you have coming up that you're going to be, you know, be at this summer so everyone can try and find you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have any scheduled until NC Comic Con in the fall. Oh, okay. And so I'm trying to figure out whether or not I'll, you know, I'll Dragon Con, EWA, and they'll have me as guests. I will gladly go. <laughs> you hear that, Dragon Con? We need her. <laughs> Please. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. 
Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm Kayla, and I am sitting here with animator Elisa Lewis. How are you? I'm well. How are you enjoying MomoCon? I love MomoCon. This is not my first time coming. I came when it was free. It was a lot smaller. It was down at the school, and I'm just amazed at how much it's grown. That's amazing. So you've been exhibiting this year, correct? Yes. This year I I came as a guest. Okay. Awesome. And how has the reception been with going to the panels and doing all of those? It's been really good. Uh, In the past, there haven't been a lot of panels done on the animation business side, Mm -hmm. so I really enjoyed getting to explain more behind the scenes and how the industry works uh, outside of just the visuals that you see. And so how did you get into animation? I have wanted to be an animator since I was two years old, and I've been working towards that, but I didn't get into the business side of animation uh, strongly until after college. Uh, It was more a combination of working with organizations, finding out the needs of students as they were leaving school, and then working with a lot of independent artists and seeing where the the real gaps were in the industry when it comes to the people who are on the outside of the, I guess, of the, the circle of people who are uh, knowers of the animation, and then people on the inside, mm-hmm. like the people who work at the studios and people who have jobs. Okay, and so how important is it for you to see more um, behind-the-scenes diversity on different shows and different comic books? How important is that to you? It's essential. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you one thing. I was really happy that on Archer I had tiny bit of flexibility uh, with some of the background drones and for me seeing um, diverse couplings, diverse um, people, it's the difference between um, the way I'm treated Monday morning to the way I'm treated Tuesday morning. Um, Mm -hmm. Everything that we see in the media directly affects my life and my standard of living. Mm -hmm. Uh, So whenever I can encourage diversity, I do. Great. And so what are your big things that you're working on right now? The biggest thing that we're working on is an animation convention for mm-hmm. Georgia. Georgia. Georgia's first animation-only um, convention where it's not just about fandom and about um, the visual aesthetics of animation, but mm-hmm. more so about the behind-the-scenes, the how an animator is going to live, the business, um, that kind of thing. Okay. And it's not scheduled for another year, but that's it's going to be huge. Now, can you talk to us about My Animation Life? My Animation Life is an animation resource and staffing agency that I created a little over a year ago. And, of course, it was birthed out of the, um, the information I gathered with the independent artists and with the students and the people in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it focuses on solely the portfolio and career advancement of artists. Okay. So we do studio tours, portfolio um, critiques. We do job and internship hunts. We have the most inclusive map and calendar for Georgia. Mm -hmm. So if you're ever looking for a physical location of a studio and you don't know what's around you, Mm -hmm. you can just go on this map and it's free and open to everyone and you can find a location to a studio just instantly. Mm -hmm. Um, The other half of the business is the staffing agency side Mm -hmm. and we match artists with clients. It's amazing. That's really essential to get work for an animator because it's far and few between. (laughs) So we don't have one in our region that focuses solely on the animation pipeline. Mm-hmm. And we staff the entire pipeline solely so that the um, client 
has um, more to choose from when they're giving us a project. They can say, here's a project, can you help me complete my idea? And we can say, yes, we can pull everyone from the animation pipeline. Mm -hmm. So we staff artists from illustrators, background artists, of course animators, mm -hmm. um, script writers, uh, producers, etc. everyone who helps in animation, but mm -hmm. it's all for an animated project. So we're not going to be doing like children's books, we're doing everything for um, actual pieces. That's amazing, amazing, amazing. So what inspired you to get into animation and start, you know, these companies, especially like My Animation Life, what inspires you to keep going? I believe uh, a heart of service. My parents raised me to always get back to your community mm -hmm. and to know that your surroundings and your circumstances are also a direct relation to what you have done or what you have not done. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I see a need, I get this idea of see a need, fill a need, um, do your best to help out instead of just you know, being sad about it or complaining about the current situation. So when it came to being in in the animation business mm -hmm. and helping with my animation life to further the careers of other artists. Mm -hmm. It came um, just from a deep desire and a longing to continue giving back. And when it came to getting into the animation industry, I believe that um, my strongest desire came from bringing things to life and this whole illusion of something can seem so dead and lifeless, but if you do a few things, it can, it can breathe. Mm -hmm. And what's your dream animation job? What, that's, what's the one that you would really love to do? Oh, my dream animation job is dual. It's running animation resource centers all around the world. Mm -hmm. Of course, it, uh, at a, a, a more distant um, relation than I am right now. Right now, I'm right in the middle of it, and I've got my hands in almost every department. Mm -hmm. But uh, my dream would be to be able to pull away and be able to do just general directing so that everyone in their their little town or their city has the resources that they need to at least get uh, the jobs that they are going after. Mm -hmm. um, it's a shame that so many people can't follow their dreams because of little things that are in their way. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would love to have resource centers all over the world, and I would also love to be able to do independent projects on the side. Oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's a great pleasure to meet you. Can you tell everyone where we can um, find you on the interwebs and you know what special projects you're working on right now if you're looking for me directly you can go to alisalewis.com that's a-l-l-y-s-s-a-l-e-w-i-s.com if you're looking for my animation life my company for animation resourcing or staffing you can go to myanimationlife.com and if you're looking for where we're most active, that's on Facebook and Instagram. And that's Facebook forward slash My Animation Life. And on Instagram, that's at symbol My Animation Life. All right. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Hi, Zach. I'm Kayla with Black Girl Nerd, and really excited because we love Steven Universe. Thank you. What's been the most rewarding experience with you know, being a part of the show? Honestly, seeing the fan reaction at cons like these and on the internet, it, the, the way the show has affected people with the positive messages that we try to put out, it, it really, I didn't realize it would have such an impact on, on kids and older fans that watch the show. I had a couple people at this con specifically tell me that Steven Universe is the reason they're alive today. That's 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 a compliment on a whole other level. So that's very rewarding in itself. 
How many older chicks are hitting on you now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know women that are like getting to the point where they're like, oh, we're checking his IMDb page every day. <laughs> and they're like, ah, he finally hit that magic number. Like, I, I, I gotta imagine it's happening a lot, yeah? You're there. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you first signed on for the show, did you have any idea what, what, what kind of a cultural impact that the show was going to have? Did you just kind of sign up as just sort of this silly little thing and then it just, boom, just kind of took off? That's exactly right. I, I, well, I wouldn't say it's a silly little thing. It's like, oh, cool, Cartoon Network show. I watched Cartoon Network growing up. It's really cool. And then uh, as the show started to pick up steam, I, I sort of realized what we were, what we were dealing with here. Right. It was San Diego Comic-Con 2015. Okay. I, I really realized what the show was doing. I was going to say, um, fan base, how, how it had grown and multiplied. And we had an amazing reaction to our panel at that con, unlike any before. Yeah, I was going to say, it, that was going to be my next question, was like, what was your first, like, oh crap moment as far as, like, associated with the show? So I... Yeah, definitely SDCC. Because, I mean, San Diego is a crazy convention. It's it's human ooze. You know, like, you're moving through the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, it's an amazing experience and to have that many Steven fans show up and ask us questions and cheer when Yellow Diamond came on the screen for the first time. Like, it was there was so much hype in that room, and, and I didn't realize that we had that much fan support up until that very moment. So for you, what's your favorite fusion? Sardonyx. Yeah. <laughs> People told me that I'm obliged to say Stevani, but I love Stevani. Mm-hmm. But there's something about Sardonyx's color scheme and the broadcast shtick that she has and her hammer and just everything. She's so outgoing. I love that's yes. my favorite, isn't it? Yeah. I'm glad. <laughs> kind of got Sardonyx colors with your art. I, I should try to. <laughs> So, um, Steven Universe tends to be, for a cartoon, it tends to be a very emotional show. Yeah. Do you feel that, like, as you're recording, or, or, or do you just, as you see the, the episodes, do you kind of feel it, or, or, what I'm trying to say is, is as you're recording the show, and then you hit those pivotal, you know, emotional moments, does it affect you personally? I mean, absolutely. Uh, that's one of the more challenging parts of the show, is for any actor, it's the emotionally challenging work, the, uh, <laughs> serious emotional material and we do have a lot of that on Steven Universe and I'm very blessed by that because that's the, the meat and potatoes like that's as an actor that's that's the stuff you want to tackle that's the stuff you want to go for and they they write a lot of it because the characters are becoming very fleshed out as the show goes on they have these big emotional moments they all come to blows sometimes and it's it's it makes for a very interesting dynamic and I love doing doing those sorts of things and they I feel like I have learned a lot from them as well and that's how it's affected me personally uh, you do. You've done some uh, on-screen acting as well as all your voice acting stuff. What do you say? One is harder than the other? You know, it's it's kind of a different skill set with with film acting and voice acting. Voice acting was a total accident. I, I moved to California to become a film actor, film and television. With with voiceover, I've always said you're being very precise with everything coming out of your mouth because there's only one way to convey what you want to come out of your character because you're just using your voice. Whereas if you're on camera, you have your facial expressions, your body language, your voice itself. There's a lot of different things you can do, and voiceover requires a lot of precision and a lot of fine vocal control. Uh, it's very much a game of... Uh, it's it's just being very precise with with every line read, with every every take. It's, it's it's also a very different environment in the work environment. We have recording studio versus a set. A set is hectic, there's a lot of sitting around, you have long days sometimes, but it's still very fun. And then a recording studio, I mean, it can be bang bang really quick usually, and I never work on Steven Universe more than four hours a week. Wow. Yeah. Except in very rare cases, but... Do you uh, do ISO, or do you guys work as an ensemble? Occasionally I do ISO, but we have a, a like a six microphone booth, so we try to do ensemble as much as we can. 
I've become pretty close with a lot of the other cast members on Steven Universe, and it's nice to have everybody in one room recording. It really helps with line reads and everything, and playing off each other. And people are off doing all their own cool stuff right now, so we haven't been able to see each other as much. It's usually me and Michaela Dietz holding down the fort. Dee Dee's on a on a theater tour with If Then, the national tour. Estelle's always super busy, but she's back in LA now, so we see her. Uh, Grace Rolick, who plays Connie, is uh, is up in San Francisco for college, and she flies down, so we're all kind of split. Uh, we have Tom Sharpley, who plays Greg. I've never recorded with him, actually. Uh, he's in New Jersey. Oh, wow. So, actually, we met one time at <laughs> Comic-Con 2014. Yeah. They basically introduced us, like, a hi, son, hi, dad, go do interviews together for the next hour. <laughs> um, and he's a great guy. It worked out really well. And I've, I've always wanted to do at least one session with before the show is out, because it's the father-son thing. And right. I've had, actually had people tell, tell me before, oh, you guys have great chemistry. I'm like, ah, well, it worked yeah, out that way. Yeah. <laughs> so... As far as you know, do you think that there will actually be a, a, a definitive end for the show, or, or uh, do you think it's, they're just going to try to, you know, ride it out for a while? You know, I don't know. I mean, we just got picked up for more episodes, uh, which was just announced, and that's that's in Rebecca's vision because Rebecca certainly does have a vision for the show, and it, it is her creative darling. It's it's the product of everything she's envisioned for many years, and she's had a, a, a pretty grandiose plan from the start. Uh, I don't know how far that stretches, but. Uh, I'd, I'd love to be a part of anything she's doing for many years to come. As Steven, are you able to put in any sort of uh, creative input as far as the direction of the character? As far as the direction of the character, a little bit. I mean, when I, I first started out, they sent me the description of him, and we really wanted to capture that childlike wonder, um, especially earlier on when he was uh, not as mature as he is now. Right. The the love for his friends and family was a big one. Is it, it really defines his character, and that's something I worked on with my coach, and then once we got into the studio, and they, they kind of directed me that way. As far as creative input for like the, the writing side of things, not as much, because I, I leave that to the experts. Speaking of childlike wonder, how did you cope with your voice changing? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I lost two other other gigs because I couldn't play kids anymore. Totally understandable. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I was going to lose Steven too. Yeah. Uh, but for a couple of reasons, uh, Cartoon Network lets their a lot of their character voices age. Like Jeremy Shade on Adventure Time is a great right, example. Right, 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 right. Uh, his voice changed during Adventure Time as well. And for me, it was I used to pitch my voice down for Steven, so I just started pitching it up to keep it as similar as possible. But he does sound a little older, which has actually lended itself to his growth as a character. I feel like that's Steven's main arc thus far on the show is growing up, maturing growing into his powers, and that, that sort of reflects that. It's like we kind of grew up alongside each other. Excellent. Excellent. Do you have a favorite episode or a favorite arc that you've loved that's come out? I have a few favorite episodes here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, an early one was Tiger Millionaire. Uh, mm-hmm. Steven and the Stevens was one of my favorites to record because I was basically having a conversation with four versions of myself, and it was chaotic and fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jailbreak is a favorite to watch just because it's beautiful and the music is amazing. Uh, and that hit the diamond, which unfortunately it was just leaked, but it's going to come out officially in the next couple weeks. It's also a very good episode. One of my favorites. Uh, can you kind of tease any episodes that are coming up that we should look out for? You know, no plot points, of course, but, you know, the name of the episode to look for. That, that, that one. That one. If I mean, it, a lot of people have seen it already, but it's. Um, I saw it a couple months ago when we uh, we actually had a potluck at Cartoon Network for this girl from Make-A-Wish came in. Oh, wow. We watched, like, five new episodes that had to come out. Some of them have just aired the Cluster arc, which is also... I love that. Thank you. <laughs> 
that was the last one we watched, and I mean, I was like falling out of my chair. The whole room was in an uproar. It was it was hysterical. So when the show first started, we were always going to be sort of this episodic kind of you know thing where you kind of have to watch it from the beginning to to kind of get everything. Is as, as to your knowledge, has that always been the the case, or, or did they kind of pick that up? Pick up that, that people were into it. As far as I know, it definitely has been. Rebecca told me early on because she she reveals some of the stuff coming up to me, and, and I'll, I'll ask her about some things every now and then. Once she started telling me about stuff that's out now, like Peridot and Yellow Diamond, when that was all being introduced, yep. she was saying that she had had a vision for these characters from the beginning and wanted them to be a part of the show. So I think she, I can't say this for sure, but I think she wanted it to be that that style of format from the very beginning. As uh, a observer of the show, what is for you going into, what was the biggest old, old crap moment for you, like the biggest reveal as far as the, the, the plot of the show? I think... Yellow Diamond was one because it was also paired with the, the fan reaction later on at Comic-Con, which was unprecedented, uh, that moment I was telling you about earlier. Right. There's been a lot of stuff, like, as far as Steven's, uh, you said the emotional moments in the show, there's a lot of times where Steven has, like, an emotional outburst, and I can't remember the name of the episode off the top of my head. Uh, it's the one with Low Butler, where Am, uh, Greg and Amethyst Walsh. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, sh- I should know the name of it, but I'm, I'm totally... It's, it's, it's quite totally all right. Yeah. Right <laughs> there's a moment at the end of that episode where Steven... It's really upset. I, th- I believe that's the episode where Amethyst um, shapeshifts into Rose. Into Rose yeah. It's like a really messed up moment, and that was like, whoa, that's like way too far. Yeah. It's interesting to see how it uh, kind of tiptoes on very adult themes. Yes. Particularly uh, uh, it crossing the line as far as like gender roles and, and, and speaking very loudly to the uh, LGBT community. Mm. Do you uh, get a lot? Of, I'm sure you do. You get a lot of love from the LBGT community, yes? Yeah, especially at the cons. People people come up and say they're they're grateful for the messages that the show's delivering. And I fully support it. I think it's awesome. I didn't really realize that that was going to be a, a huge fan reaction at the beginning when we were doing the show. And even when they introduced the, the whole Ruby and Sapphire plot line, I was like, oh, this is cool. And I, I didn't really think that much of it until it came out and the, the fan reaction was so big. And I, I never took the time to think that this is not something that a cartoon is really tackled before, to my knowledge. So it was, it was a, a kind of a cool moment to, to realize the impact it was having. Before you go into some recording, uh, do you do anything specific, like in order to get into the role as Steven? At this point, I can jump into Steven, uh, like as a character in my mind, pretty easily. The voice does require because we do morning sessions, so my voice is still a little creaky in the morning. So I, I drink a lot of tea, I do vocal warm ups, uh, stretch my vocal cords out, just stuff like that. Uh, as far as getting into character. It was a little harder at first, but now that I've, I've settled into it, it's it's just right there all the time. Okay. Well, uh, if we, I think we're done. Uh, all right. Hi, and welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. I am super excited to have with me the media relations director of MomoCon, Renee Cooper. Hi, <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here as well. It's really exciting just because as a black person that is into all of these things, to have someone that's the new face of it (laughs) is really great. So how has this experience been for you taking on this role? It's been fantastic. It's been very scary, but also very exciting because, one, people are noticing, congratulating me, and I think it's really cool because I'm like, you know, I I talk all the time. I like to talk about these things. But being able to be in this position has been just super awesome. Uh, I started as press, you know, I've done press for Dragon Con, I've done press for MomoCon, and um, I was given this opportunity and I felt 
very blessed to be in it because I do like spreading the word about these conventions in Atlanta. Atlanta has so much of a wonderful nerd community and this has such a homegrown feel, you know, just starting out very small at Georgia Tech and now we're they're expecting 30,000 people to, you know, buying tickets and then even more people who are walking up. So this is becoming big. This is a good time to be part of this, and I'm glad to be on this side of the convention. So for you, how has it been different for you from being press with, you know, the aficionados to now doing this? How has that transition been for you? Well, now people are asking me questions instead of me <laughs> asking questions, and I'm moderating. I'm actually, you know, kind of being like, big sister or mama bear of the press room, we give them the space so they can come in, bloggers, YouTubers, writers, um, anyone who's looking to broadcast the signal, and we are making this the best space it can be for you guys to work, for, you know, we've got free Wi-Fi, we've got, like, the, the uh, Red Bull cooler back there, and I love it because it's yeah. basically everything, you know, I, I love doing press last year, and it's everything that I enjoyed, and I hope to make an even better experience because, again, without the local media looking into things like this and coming to this event, you know, we, we don't get that signal boosted as well as we could be to um, those niches and the other people who have voices in the community. So um, I love it. Like I said, it's it's weird when people just come up and they're like, oh, I saw you here. And I, I was on TV. Like they, you know, WSB TV Channel 2 came in and they did a, just a really short interview on Thursday. And apparently it's been shown like every morning, like shown in the <laughs> evening and every morning. So uh, I even went off site on Saturday and someone was like, I saw you on TV. That I was, was like, me. I was like, I got really excited. I was like, look at that. Yeah. So I was like, it's Saturday. They shot this on Thursday. <laughs> um, so that's just really cool because I know that, again, they're broadcasting their signal to reaching a few more people, grabbing in more audiences. But again, the local press, the bloggers, YouTubers, people like that, they're much closer to the community. They're actually reaching directly ears that are listening out for that nerd signal. So that's that's really awesome to be like heading that. So that's, that's really the biggest difference that I've seen. Have you had a fangirl moment this con? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> I fangirled so hard with Cree Summers, <laughs> but also with Zach Callison, who's the voice of Steven Universe. I was just like, and what I'll do is I'll go up to them and I have to introduce myself to everybody. I'm like, I'm moderating, I want you to know, like, you know, I'm here in this room if you need anything, but I'll go up and I'm just like, I'm fangirling so hard right now, but I'm going to try to compose myself in three, two, one, okay, business mode, and then I'll just start talking to them, but they've all been super cool and fun. It's just so crazy to be able to, you know, get that close, and I know i got to keep it in check, and it's easy to do that after you realize, like, okay, they're just people that just want to talk about their craft and what they do, but it was just so exciting, and like I said, I, I love Steven Universe because it is so recent, and I just love that whole show in general, and it's cool talking to him about other aspects of the show, but Chris Summers, like, I grew up listening to her knowing like she's the voice of the black girls that I want to see in my cartoons yes. and um, being able to ask her about different things I know she's coming later today but being able to ask her about like Kida and how she feels about how she's not really represented in any of like the Disney princess merchandising I, I get very adamant like she's a Disney right. princess she is she's not on any of their coloring books she's not in anything so I don't know if there's some weird underlying Fox thing you know Fox buys stuff sometimes and it ruins it for everybody but like I said I don't know that to be true I'm just thinking out of my Sunday head but yeah, just hearing her passion for, she called us like the freaks, you know, just the people like us who like all these things that before 
you know, I'm sure when she was growing up, were a little taboo or just weird, you know, the really weird stuff. And now we are the weird, but we are the cool. You know, this is the thing. And it's just wonderful hearing her talk. And she smells amazing. That's what everyone keeps telling me. I'm, like, really excited about that one. They're oh like, gosh. she smells so good. Like, <laughs> she smells like, I would think, like, Pocahontas would smell. Shut so, up. Yeah, I know. Yeah, meeting her, meeting Irene yesterday, I was. Yes. I wasn't in here when she was, but mm-hmm. I only hear good, fantastic fairy tale things about she her. She started crying and tearing up talking about how much she loves representing. Oh, and then it made me cry. Yeah. She's like, and so we hugged. I was like, oh, she's so sweet. And I was trying to keep it together with Paige O'Hara. Yeah. Belle was who I was growing up. Just exactly. a weird little intelligent girl. And yeah. then she's like, you know, people will come up to me and says, change your life. And then she's, that one go over there goes, she's going to lose it. I'm like, no, I am. <laughs> You're lost. But also just on a like, more local level, the program was full of really good black artists, black female artists. Alisa Lewis was on there. Um, Afua Richardson. Um, we also had Bliku as a cosplayer, still an artist, but um, Bliku, all local, well, mostly local. Just a good representation of us. I, I love talking to them, so I kind of freaked out to them. And I, I asked, do you know the, each other? Like, you guys got to know each other. Um, <laughs> it was good. And speaking of crying, I got emotional talking to Elisa Lewis because she was talking about having Asperger's and how in the fifth grade, her teacher separated her saying, you are different. You're not like everyone else. And she said she actively forced herself to fit into what is normal, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of people have to go through that. And it has nothing, it's not even just about your nerdiness or your, your pastimes. Like, she had to change how people perceived her or something that others would consider a handicap. And yeah. it was just like, just so, you know, sometimes those words just hit. They're so empowering to hear. And I was like, ah, oh, like tears. Like, I just had like a tear trying to like hold it, like fanning my eyes. It's like, okay, if you guys have any other questions. <laughs> You can take your thumbnail pictures in front of the screen. Like, it was just it was just awesome, though. And we had breakfast this morning. She's just really cool. I just want everybody in the community to know each other and to know that they mean something to, uh, especially as black girls who, yeah. you know, they always push, yeah, black people are getting more represented. Yeah, we got Falcon and Black Panther. And it's like, well, where's Storm? Where's Vixen? Where are all these good people? Storm. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know, where are all of the, you know, where are the just cooler black chicks that can show up and people can make these, you know, make up stories for them? in theaters you know we're we're still we are still pretty underrepresented and when we do show up we are badass Mm -hmm. but there's still not as many of us as i would like to see in the stories you know fantasy sci-fi heroes things like that so hopefully that will also change because we ladies are now in the industry making things happen so yeah and i think that's important especially with you getting this role you can have a lot of really good influence in the type of people we're going to go after for you know people are going to go after for guests Mm -hmm. and just a a really big diversity so i remember seeing the press list and everything for who was to be here of green and and Cree, and i freaked out Mm -hmm. i'm like you have sex He's working with these people, and that show deals with so much yes. content, not just with race, but also with sexuality. Know, sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I think Identity, that was, gender. gender. And yeah. I think that was really big, you know, just really smart, and you don't see that a lot. A lot of what you'll see, you know, when you go to look up the guest list, oh, I wonder who's going to be at this con. Uh, yeah. Very cis. <laughs> As you read down, you're like, uh, uh, uh. I just learned what that word was uh, recently, actually. It's gendered. I didn't know it was like things. So I'm like, oh, okay. What is that? Okay. That's, that's how I was too. I was like, but then I was like, oh, that explains a lot. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think 
I don't think, I know from just seeing the people who run MomoCon and who's in charge of like guests and how they feel about things that diversity is such a big deal because the fans say it's it's big and it's important and MomoCon listens to the fans. So they're going to bring in who they know is influential to the people who are spending their money to be here. Um, you're not going to come out to an event if it's going to be the same show every year, and they have done so wonderful to make sure every year is um, the most entertainment value for what the fans want. That's great. And so have you gotten a chance to, I know you're doing directing, you don't get any ch chance to do any press this year, correct? Um, I snap some photos when I can, but they're not as awesome as some of the things I've seen on my feed for people who are actively on the floor in terms of cosplays. But I do get to ask some questions if I feel something hasn't been touched or I'm just curious to the guests that come through. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's captured with the people who are recording and things like that. So they get a little bit more information, a little bit more insight, just asking a couple questions to give the press you know, more insight into that character, into that guest. But I have not really done any one-on-one -on -one interviews just myself with anybody, which is okay. You know, it's like understanding really being uh, immersed in this role so I know exactly what is and is not to come in the future. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you see for MomoCon in the future? What would you like to see grow and develop for the, the con? is really the limits and um, with this new DragonCon MomoCon merger they have a lot of the resources that DragonCon had. DragonCon is 30 years old, mm -hmm. uh, will be 30 this year and they're kind of like acting as big brother, like, hey, here's some of like, the negotiation skills to get some bigger, better guests. Here's some of the what we do to make sure like our back end is taken care of so that's organized so that they can work more on talking to guests and talking to agencies and getting more people here. Gaming is really big and having more people locally who want to come together and boost uh, what is happening on the game floor. Of course, vendors are really important here, so they're able to kind of reach out more and focus on um, making a bigger, better show without having to worry about any clumsy back end, you know, things that are going. I'm not saying it has been like that in the past, but you know, it's old. That murder Drencon is such a build and an asset to that. So I really only see bigger numbers, more people coming out. Again, still more diversity in the guests mm -hmm. because, again, a lot of the, since they brought on comics as, you know, they added that on to the end and uh, heard some people who were a little upset. They were thinking, well, I really like anime and I really want to stay anime. But at the same time, I mean, that's where this started. That's the roots of this. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people realize that a lot of the comic artists who are here are local. They're starting... You know, there are people who live here who have worked here before who mm -hmm. are at Cartoon Network, which is part of Atlanta. Yeah. Um, you know, they work for Cartoon Network. So I think they get scared and think like big conglomerate side of Marvel and things like that. But, you know, just to, I think more people are going to pay attention after this year because there's going to be a lot of good information that goes out from the local press and any other source of media. Mm -hmm. And just the people who have been here about how great a show they put on. Okay. Well, thank you so much for at least sitting down and talking to me for yeah, a minute. Thank you. It's been awesome. <laughs> oh, okay. So what are you going to be working on in the future with your press stuff that you have going on? Are there any cons you're going to go to this summer outside of MomoCon? So I, I like going to Dragon Con. Mm -hmm. I haven't missed a year yet. We'll see how that works now with my actual work schedule. <laughs> but I also kind of just started a maid cafe. Oh. So uh, that started in December, and I've done about four events, hoping to keep doing that. And those are kind of like mini cons because mm -hmm. we throw in a little bit of anime, and we have the concept of the maids um, in cosplay and just really cute desserts and things. Where it's really building. Mm -hmm. So I have that on my plate for the next couple of months, getting that pushed and a couple more events out. And um, in terms of just press in itself, 
the aficionados is still going on because my counterpart, Mason AJ, he is always busy. He's always increasing his skills and doing videos about what's latest and greatest in the comic book world. And while there's not as much anime on the aficionados these days because it's just like a lot of time and location and driving issues with us getting in the studio at the same time, he's continuing to boost that, that nerd signal, especially that black nerd signal uh, with the aficionados. And I think that that's awesome. And when we do get together and are able to do some follow-up videos, it would be really wonderful. But I do hope to keep broadcasting just on my Facebook and hopefully using Twitter more and a uh, Snapchat, as Cree uh, uh, Summers calls it, Snapchat. I heard that she didn't know how to use it. Yeah, we had a nice little um, introductory uh, lesson. One of the other uh, bloggers was showing her how to use it. And she's like, how do I save it? Who do I add? So if, so if Cree Summers has added you lately on Snapchat and um, she has, and then she unfollowed you, it's because she didn't know what she was doing. It's not because she doesn't like you. She really does. It's just that, that, that's what happened. Uh, so, yeah. Any sort of nerd thing I'm doing locally, I just want to keep broadcasting it myself, putting pictures up, doing updates, and hopefully drawing in more people who are interested in what I'm doing, and they're interested in what I'm doing because they can also be a part of it. That's what I'm looking for. And so where can we find you on the internet so everybody knows where to look for you? So for some crazy reason, I just now made my Facebook public. That may or may not change. It's just hard to keep up with a page and a profile. Mm -hmm. But uh, facebook.com slash renlinette, W-R-E-N-L-Y-N-E-T-T-E. That's also my Twitter handle, at Renlinette, you can find maybe some stuff there. I don't know where it might, you know, <laughs> how much is there, but I'm hoping to keep doing that more. And I also like gonna have, like I said, check out Aficionados there, youtube.com slash aficionado tube, the aficionados on Twitter. There's every so often I'll put some cool stuff that I'm reading up on there for like mangas or watching anime. And uh, check out PG Made Cafe, just Google that. You can find it like anywhere. <laughs> There's not a lot going on yet with that. But yeah, Red Lynette is me. Okay, well, thank you for so much for coming on the show. That's great. Thank, thank you. you. I'm so glad you came out. Our final segment is over at Tidewater Comic Con. I interviewed a few cosplayers and asked them about their thoughts about the convention and also what led them to the cosplay decisions that they came to. Take a quick listen. Hi, this is Jamie with Black Girl Nerds here at Tidewater Comic Con here in Virginia Beach. Just walking around the show floor and meeting with cosplayers. I have one here dressed up as Gambit. Uh, who has an upcoming film, by the way? First of all, why Gambit? Why'd you want to cosplay as that character? Um, Gambit's always been a, how do I say it, some, one of my favorite characters growing up, besides Wolverine. So, try something different. Usually I do DC, so I do a Nightwing. So I thought I'd just change it up to something. And why do you think Tidewater Comic Con is a great con to check out? Well, to be honest, it's my first time here, and it's very inviting. It's it's a big con, but it's not like super big like Wiz. You actually feel like you're at home, and that's really good. It's, it's important. It's very important. Awesome. So this is your first time here at this convention? Yes, it is. Have you been able to meet a lot of fellow cosplayers um, of the sort of Marvel and X-Men fans alike? I have, and actually I just missed a whole group for the uh, contest that they're all X-Men, and I'm kind of upset I didn't see them until now, but I'll catch up with them, I guess, at some point. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Jamie with Black Girl Nerds, Tidewater Comic Con. First and foremost, uh, can you tell me who you were dressed as? I made this character. Uh, I'm known as Cyberwolf. I'm like a Raver Wolf. <laughs> and is this your first time here at Tidewater Comic Con? Actually, it is. And so far, I'm liking what I see. There's a lot of different people out here that I've never met before, and I'm becoming new friends every day. 
What brought you out here? My brother. <laughs> like he wanted, we missed it last year, so why not go this year? And has there been any cosplay that you've seen so far that's been the most impressive for you? Yeah, a few minutes ago I just saw uh, Alien cosplay from Alien vs. Predator. And I saw the movie It character out here. So yeah, that's so far, it's really impressive out here. Thank you so much. Is this your first year here or have you been a regular? Um, this is my first time at this particular convention, but I've been cosplaying for 10 years. Oh wow, how many other cons have you been to? Um, I usually go to NecoCon every year. I try to get to KatsuCon and Otacon, which are usually up in the D.C. Baltimore area, um, and that's about it for me. So this particular con, Tidewater Comic Con, is really huge this year. Have you noticed a trend with the cons growing over the years since you've been cosplaying? Absolutely. I remember the first time I went to NecoCon, there were probably about two or 3,000 people, and since then it's grown to about 10,000. And I know last year when I came, it was very small. Um, good numbers for you know its first turnout, but today I spent 20 minutes looking for parking because there were so many people in attendance. Yeah. And what's been the best cosplay you've seen so far today? Um, in all honesty, I was a little bit disappointed that there weren't so many. Um, I particularly love Sailor Moon, so anytime I see that, I love it. And there's a really nice Mars walking around in here. I had a fangirl moment when I saw her. Um, other than that, there's been some nice ones, but I'm also not always like on top of what people are from, so I can appreciate it from a distance. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, probably the, the Mars, though. And for our listeners, who are you cosplaying as now? I am Sindel from Mortal Kombat 3. She is um, Katana's mother. Um, she's really badass. She's a super woman. <laughs> so I am her today. Oh, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you.